0: Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at Fableandfolly.com slash plus
1: Omniverse.
2: The call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is for mature audiences only. Please listen at your own discretion. If you find our Stygian stories simply scintillating, unlock further secrets at patreon.com slash omniversemedia and help us fund future series via our Indiegogo campaign at cthulhamystery.com crowdfund. Do
1: you hear that?
2: in the cruel blackness of night an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out what dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham and which unwitting souls innocent or impure will succumb to the maddening call the call
1: of Cthulhu
3: welcome to Cthulhu Cthulhu hi I'm Kat I'm the showrunner for the call of Cthulhu mystery program And with me, as always, is Keeper, Luke Stram. Hey there, that's me. And sound designer, and also the voice and player of Thomas Woods Northwood, Colin C. Peterson.
4: Hey, how are you?
3: The C is for Campfire. (laughs) Now, in our last episode, we got through a part of discussing the massive first episode of Night at Howling House. There is a lot more to cover, so we're going to dive in. But before we do that, we just want to remind everybody that our crowdfunding campaign for our next season is about to wrap up. It ends on November 23rd, and we need, need, need your help, or we won't be able to make any more of this show. If you haven't had an opportunity to yet, please stop what you're doing and head to cathulomystery.com slash crowdfund.
4: Friends. Truly, if you believe in the work that's happening here at the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, if you believe in supporting artists and you believe in supporting independent artists and the work that they're doing and supporting their creative pursuits, this is definitely something that you should throw your hard-earned cash at because it will ensure the continued work for the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. And one of the reasons why the price tag is what it is is because it is the biggest of all of the seasons that have come out so far and the work that is happening throughout all of Call of Cthulhu mystery program will continue into that season. You definitely want to support our work and the work of others by going to cthulomystery.com slash crowdfund.
5: Please donate. If you can, I really, really want to tell stories about the dreamlands. Come on dreamland cycle. I, I know you want to hear it too.
3: Now, Colin, we've been talking about a lot of different stuff, but we haven't really uh, directly addressed your sound design, which we really yeah. need to do because, oh my God, you almost killed yourself doing yeah. the sound design. We got really excited about like, oh, it's it's in such close confines. And I said, C- maybe could, uh, what if it was like more spatial than normal? Could we do that? And I, and much to my surprise, you said, yeah, I think so. And then, boy, howdy, did you do it? Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we're, we're several scenes in right now. Do we want to, yeah. like, is there anything you want to unpack here?
4: Well, I mean, like, you know, really, like, in terms of the sound design for episode one, this is the most anytime that we got more, I talked about earlier about the percentage of actual play versus audio drama. So episode one really lends itself to the audio drama aesthetic where we are bouncing kind of in between different locations and so this episode took this is just the sound design the sound design for this episode took 60 hours with all of the different variations and iterations of it so the first draft and then going back and you know i think we ended up with three or four drafts of this particular episode but when we're jumping in between all the different locations we have to have a whole new sound base, a whole new ambiance because we're stepping into a new location. Whereas once we get into the house, we are in the same general location, but we change the levels of the rain. So like if there's rain tapping on a window, that's at a lower level in one room and they go into a different room. Um, the rain tapping on the window might be a little louder, whereas something that was more present in that previous room is slightly less, but that's just me changing the level of that one particular sound. However, in this episode specifically, there was a lot of different places that required a lot of different sound. And so when we started doing spatial work with this, where we had all the different characters move and travel throughout the scenes, it caused a lot of fun, tricky necessity where, okay, well, they're traveling now also the things that they're carrying are traveling. Honestly like this whole series like this series as a as a whole generally took just the audio sound design of this took infinitely longer than season 2 just because of the spatial sound because kind of like setting it up in this audio drama world it's just you're going for it and you got to continue keep that same level of going for it. And um, I'm really happy with the outcome.
3: To like what you said about like me and my historical research, like Colin, you went all out on this. You'd spent that 60 hours in this first episode. And I was like, well, good grief, Colin. Like that's or do you want, do you still want to keep doing it? And you were like, well, I've, I've already started it. So I might as well just keep going. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, but, but I mean, it sounds incredible. And uh, so, you know, it's, 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 we're, we're all in good company. People who take things way too far to make something that I like to think no one's ever heard before. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Your
5: work paid off, and I love you, but you got to find your plateau with that. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, yeah. otherwise, you're going to stop measuring in hours, and it's going to be measured in, like, weeks. <laughs> Lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm ahead. not looking forward to, uh, 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 like, finding you dead of exhaustion when trying to edit a Dreamland sequence.
4: <laughs> yeah, and it's a, you know, and the thing about this one is that, Between season two and season three, I also found, paid for, and got a lot more sounds. So I had a lot more access to a lot more dynamics so that we could play in really different worlds and really different spaces. I honestly wish that there was a program, and maybe this exists, so tell me if it does listener who has listened to this thing at this point if there's a program that like where you can like assign an audio track to a certain character that you can then like move in three-dimensional space and then their audio travels with whatever that chess piece is and you set like where the center of the audio is and then you can move those chess pieces around maybe in three-dimensional actual physical space that would be kind of amazing because so much of this was tracking where they were moving, where they were going, why they would move. And then also, um, this is the first time I'd ever played with instruments. And so like there's a clothing and prop instrument as well as a shoes instrument, the Edwards suite of um, instruments for props and clothes and shoes. So each of the characters had their own different props and clothing and shoes that they wore so that it allowed for them to, if they were walking on, gravel or if they were walking on, you know, creaky wood, or if they were walking on this, they were all individually produced live sounds um, that were not canned. So anytime you hear them walking, it's me like touching a keyboard to like, you know, them, you know, walking in into their certain spaces and moving throughout the scene and deciding what kind of surface they're walking on, how hard they're stepping. It was a fun new challenge for the footsteps. You need to be able to hear them move so that if somebody's voice is traveling you're hearing their body move as well so we also got beautiful music um from ryan ryan from neon dolphin created not as many tracks as we had for season two but this version we were able to get stems which was really helpful for us
3: yeah foolishly we didn't ever request that before what a stem is if you're not familiar is Basically, all of the different instrument tracks that make up a song. You know, you play them all together, you get a song. Well, now we had access to both the song mixed down and each individual piece of it.
4: Each of those individual pieces tell different parts of the story, you know, especially in regards to our adventure theme. It started with Woods' moment on the stairs attacking Roger that was the adventure theme and the, where that came from. And then we needed like a scary version of that adventure theme and then a low-key version of that adventure theme. And then we had a final boss track. But I think that was really... That was it. That was just
3: it. Four pieces, which is even yeah. more than we expected. Like when we set out for this, we thought, oh, well, we've already got so much music we won't need anymore. But then we were like, yeah. well, Woods yeah. is going to be a reoccurring character. So we probably should have a theme for him. And yeah. then Ryan delivered us something that was... I mean, Ryan's theme work in here really shook me to my core. To me, this music is on par with Shirley Walker's work on Batman the Animated Series. Like, that's how good it is. In both, like, the the lighthearted bits and the dark bits, I'm just overwhelmed by it. But the thing is, we got the adventure theme in first, and we're like, shit, this is so good. But it is too bright for most of what happens yeah. in this story. So that's where we're like, we're, okay, well, let's get a scary one and one that's like lower energy and more like wistful (laughs) and nailed it every time
4: the series would not have sounded the way that it sounded without uh his music and he did an incredible job and so you know that mixed in with the tried and true tracks that we've had before for season one and then season two we were able to get what we were looking for there's there's Thousands of sounds that were used in the in the course of this series, uh, individual and unique, unique sounds um, and combinations of sounds to get them to, to sound a certain way or to sound like something else. You'd be surprised at how many cracking, cutting, and smashing of vegetables are in this <laughs> series. <laughs> but it's. A, I mean, it's. A, it was a very challenging design, but it was a very ultimately really rewarding design. But I have a feeling like this is one where I listen to it and i hear things that i would tweak just constantly always like this will never this will be the series that i will always love but always be like oh if i just did this one little thing like you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. one of those pro- it's one of those projects but not in a i want to change it not in a george Lucasy sort of a way but in a um in a just a oh yeah yeah i would Mm, oh, that sounds just a little too hot. Or yeah, you know, like that, like that, that sort of a thing. So, yeah. My favorite note that Cat sent me was that the chickens were too soft. We need to have more present chickens <laughs> in season in, in episode one because the way that this works really is that Cat sends me a script and then I sometimes follow the script and sometimes I don't. And, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like that's yeah, just yeah, yeah, Like you know, like sometimes You're I follow creator the script too. Sometime. Yeah, and so we'll both be doing um, the work and, and most of the time I'm following the script and then sometimes I'm like, let me, let me show her this.
6: Just see, just, uh, let, uh, let's
4: see.
3: Now, uh, over to Dirt, this is maybe the, the, the little improv segment that still has the most original takes in it. I was playing Dirt's dad and uh, we're just, just, you know, just throwing verbal abuse at him and seeing what happens.
1: All right. Uh, now it's time for Dirt and Daddy. <laughs> the, dirt and Daddy <laughs> the Dirt and Daddy
2: show! Daddy
3: show. <laughs> so, basically, I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm done here, whatever. And then you'll be like, you're like, you dirt! You're dirt! Get out of my sight! Dirt! And I'll be like,
6: oh, you got stuff to do. Yeah,
3: something like that. Alright, so, uh, yes, Daddy? screen door closes behind you, and go.
1: Boy! Boy!
6: Okay, I'm, I'm done here. Father, may I leave now?
1: Ha! <laughs> you're still here? I bet you didn't even clean out the chicken coop.
6: I did. I I cleaned out the chickens. They were horrifying, as always. You're a little
1: coward.
6: Yes, yes, sir, I am a little coward. Whatever you want me to be, I will be that person, sir.
1: You know what you are.
6: Oh, yes, yes. yes, Say it. I'm filthy dirt. I am a dirt man. I'm a man made of dirt. I am but a boy made of dirt, not a man.
1: And you best remember. You best remember and you best serve your father.
6: Yes, sir. As I I
1: serve my father. What? You ain't. You ain't nothing. You ain't half the man I am.
6: I live to serve you, Dad. Father, man.
1: Get out of my sight. I
6: I will partake in fun with my friends now. Goodbye, Father. (laughs) You
1: ain't got no friends.
6: That is true. I have no friends. I am am dirt. I am he who is empty inside, but full of the things that insects crawl around in. I I will go now, Father.
1: You're nothing but dirt, you hear me? Yes, Father. I was the pride of my father's eye, and you ain't nothing Aww. but dirt Okay. my boot. Get yeah. out. Uh, was I in character or was I playing myself?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? The important stuff of establishing his pyromania Mm-mm. early on, that wasn't really present yet. And later on in the, in the game, Brandon mentioned Dirt having a dead mom. But that wasn't really a part of this yet. So obviously I worked that in from the beginning so that it landed when it happened. Now Dirt's dad is voiced by my brother, John West. And John has done a lot of stuff with us over the years, but never any acting. And this is this is his first piece of, uh, of voice acting for anything that we've done. And I think he did a great job. Yeah, definitely. We also see in, in Dirt's sequence the return of the relationship between a character and the keeper that's a little unhinged. <laughs> Um, which is something that I started playing with at the end of Lot X and then brought back here from the very beginning. You know, all of the players are obviously going to be asking things of the Keeper, but if someone seems to have a really intimate connection with the Keeper, that's how you know that person's sanity is already a bit compromised. Like, it is now officially a hallmark of our show. That's what that means. Yeah,
5: it's a really fun mechanic to the storytelling process, I guess. I I really like it. Like, because it's something that you can't really do In the same way, like, you know, in the table live. But uh, after the fact, yeah, it it lands different. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
4: Well, it lands different. And also, too, it also gives Dirt... He's in a really shitty situation. And the audience is already endeared to Dirt, but it automatically, like, scoops him up into an endearing space where the keeper is someone who's taking care of Dirt. And so that relationship is so sweet and gentle and kind in a world where dirt is living in a very unkind space. And so that kind of just brings everybody and holds dirt and the audience kind of together in this really loving space, just by talking about how, Oh, I'm your friend. I I loved that whole, that whole sequence. And then it, and then it pops up a little bit like later as he's like off on his own because dirt's off on his own. Brandon, the player Is a player who likes to just kind of like, you know, he's yeah, he's a chaos demon. Like (laughs) like, you know, that that's his thing. He always will be. Yeah. yeah. He always will be.
5: One thing about that, like, we've actually had a couple of people like complain about his performance when he was father-grandfather about like, why would you let somebody be like this so disruptive in the game? It's like, listen, I had control of him the entire time. I mean, he's running around being a goofball, but he's not like impeding the rest of the group. I have more than 20 years experience. Dealing with chaos demons
3: in the flesh at my table. I'm fine. I can handle it. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Lay down the law, Luke. I really get mad when people talk shit about you in that way. Like you don't know what you're fucking doing.
5: Yeah. It's like, listen, I've run a paranoia LARP for 120 people before. I mean, not just me, but like utter chaos. It's fine. There's nothing Brandon can do that would shock me. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or break
3: the game for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. But in this case, uh, Dirt was compliant. Uh, Though, you know, of course, running off on his own, that was interesting. But, you know, it worked. It really worked, in fact. Some very special shit that would not have happened otherwise happened. Yeah.
5: Oh, 100%. And we'll get into that later Mm -hmm. uh, when he gets upstairs into the attic. But uh...
3: (laughs) yeah, Dirt's sweetness is really important because Brandon does go hard sometimes, like just like throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. And sometimes I'd trim things down, but there was a lot of sweetness in Dirt. So I just made sure that that was always the focus because some of the times when Dirt's being bullied like is funny, but it's also not okay. And it needs to be very clear that these children are being awful to him and that the story, however, does not want to be awful to him. Dirt needs to be sympathetic and the audience needs to be aware that the people who are telling Dirt's story are also sympathetic to Dirt. The scene with Joey... Originally, when we role played it. It was just Joey talking out the window at Roger. We didn't have any of his home life or anything like that.
4: Uh, one thing I do want to point out to talk about as we're going through the scenes is in Joey's house, they're listening to, it's not necessarily gospel music, but it's, you know, it's religious music from the time. It's from the, the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And the Fisk Jubilee Singers are a Nashville group that is over 100 years old. They actually just had their anniversary. And they're literally the reason why Music City is called Music City. Why Nashville is called Music City is the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And they were exceptionally popular at this time. And every house, especially in the Black and African American community, was listening to the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And so Ezekiel Saw the Wheel... Was one of the more popular records that had been released by the Fisk Jubilee Singers, and they would one hundred percent be what is playing. It wouldn't be jazz. It wouldn't be you know whatever. Maybe maybe they play it at night or something like that. But like when Joey's mom's like you know getting the food ready, getting the kids together for what for dinner and all the different things. 100% should be listening to the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And I really wanted to highlight them as well because they're such an important aspect of music, um, especially from Black and African American culture. During that time period so I really wanted to highlight them and celebrate them as well
3: so yeah and that's like I mean this is this is a great moment of your sound design doing the stuff that I typically do with the writing component I mean like I didn't know anything about them. And there they are making making the scene richer and fuller and showcasing a noteworthy component of the history that the show takes place in the midst of yep, which is really rad. When we were talking with Chris and, and developing the character beforehand, like it was actually originally, uh, it was Joey Delfano or something like that. It was like an Italian last name and he just changed it to Joey D. I changed it to Joey Davenport in the script. And he mentioned that he was really playing off of Joey as a middle child, a kid who was forgotten. What's Joey D's home life like, Chris? Fucked up. <laughs> yeah, everybody comes through a broken home. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's actually, no, no. like, the the pre Jane character, that's, like,
5: explicitly his background. I, I think social services get mentioned in there. Oh, awesome. really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh th- th- that's, that's that's his kid. He's yeah, in a boarding house. In.
3: <laughs> <No>. but like, <laughs> le- be, legitimately be. though that nothing on that sheet has to dictate the way yeah. you play your character it's okay. all up like his name
4: I- is just joey, yeah. joey have <laughs> to be. yeah 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 um, uh, be let's,
7: let's let's make him that he's from a like a, a relatively normal like yeah. you know, household normal enough where he gets ignored hence the assholeism. Mm, yeah okay. that's where i'm going with that that's one. why okay. i'm an asshole does he right, have like right? a whole bunch of
4: like siblings? He has a whole <laughs> bunch of siblings or something like that. Like, <laughs> He's got
7: like two or three other ones. Nice. They okay. He's like, somewhere in between,
3: somewhere in the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah. the middle uh, child. So, uh, uh, Jan Brady it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the weekend before summer ends. And somehow this douchebag bully named Roger, who's a little bit older than everybody, has convinced you and these other kids to come out. What do you think has motivated Joey to come out at the behest of this douchebag?
7: I would say that he's somehow friends a little bit with Roger, but not really. Oh, like, good, good. It's that sort of is that sort of dynamic? He's a little bit younger than Roger, but you know he's kind of following in the footsteps of Roger. He's trying to be Roger too. Yes. Electric Boogaloo. Oh. <laughs> yeah. so with that in mind, he's trying to go that route. I think that's enough to get him to do anything. A, a little bit of like last trouble before the the summer ends. Nice, perfect. Yeah.
3: I love it. And so I expanded on that and got two really wonderful performances. Joey's sister is played by Sawyer Green, who's a voice you may remember. He played Silas Merriweather in The Cracked and Crooked Mance, our live season. Ebony Ellington plays Joey's mom. She's best known as doing the voice of Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm in 1972, which is a fantastic historical fiction audio drama. But though it's a fictional telling of a very, very, very non-fictional, heavily researched series of events in the 1970s, uh, you should definitely check it out. There's some other additional mystery program crossover with that show, and we featured it as one of the um, Pod Friends Month, so just check it out in our feed. And, uh, and also, Joey's life and times were in a lot of ways influenced by my listening to Harlem Queen, which is the 1920s era historical fiction show done by Yanni Smith. Who is a showrunner for 1972? I really deeply admire what Yanni does. Her storytelling is impeccable, and nothing is really like directly based on any of it. But listening to Harlem Queen, that, and reading Harlem Unbound, Chris Spivey's Cthulhu role-playing book, really helped me get a window into specific nuances of the Black experience in the 1920s that allowed me to be more comfortable writing this material. His mom mentions a bunch of things that Joey's been up to, uh, one of which is a policy racket, which is this weird numbers game. There's a lot of different ways to like do it, sort of, and I'm going to do a really shitty job of explaining it. But it's basically like it's a lottery based on numbers from like other things. Like, Well, in Joey's case, oh, I didn't get into it, but like, I've sort of figured out like what does that mean for Joey, who's a child? He has no business running a policy racket. What is a child's interpretation of a policy racket like? Will it be math score answers in school? So a bunch of kids, like, bet on different numbers, and then if they come up, then, you know, you're just playing this lottery based on on the, the math scores. And, of course, then that would mean that he's probably also stealing the test results so he can make sure that, like, you know, the game is rigged. So that's my expanded Joey content. Mr. Diamond, who is, like, his mom's concern is running a speakeasy. Joey says he had to close the bar. That's because prohibition is also a new thing from this year. That was in January of 1920. So, like, that literally just happened. Like, America's booze has been taken away, and Mr. Diamond, who owned a bar, is definitely still running a bar. Yeah, I I really liked his little family thing, because it's very normal in a way that,
5: like, sets him up for that face turn Mm -hmm. uh, later on in the, uh, uh, you know, after everything goes to hell. Like, he, he clicks right away with Woods, which, I mean, part of it was... You know, Chris and Colin got along really well and and played off each other really well. But he's not really a bad kid. Like Rogers, like a total monster, and in, in both the literal and metaphorical sense, and has, <laughs> is is a really bad influence on him.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, Joey's sister and him, like they are barbed at each other, but they you can also tell that they love each other a lot. Yeah. And like Joey teaches her stuff, and mm-hmm. that was a good vibe. Joey's a piece of shit, you know, to to <laughs> to everybody, you know, for for a lot of different things, but it's like it's also kind of clear that it feels like the more the more of it you hear the more like this is kind of an act. Like he's he's delivering on a lot of it. Yeah, Roger, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Roger. <laughs> the arc that happens happened in the game unintentionally. Yeah. The worse things got the more human Joey became, the more he stopped fronting like that. And yeah. So this is an opportunity to kind of show the audience during some really candid moments some degree of who Joey really is. He has a vision of who he wants to be, and he doesn't know how he can do that in a way that isn't being like a delinquent. Roger leaves uh-huh. and then picks up
1: Joey. Okay. Since does Roger have a bike? Roger's got two legs Everybody. and determination. to <laughs> <laughs> um, physically pick him up.
3: So I'm going to take a scene
1: right here then and say... All right, so while Ace's attention is diverted, I'm gonna creep out my bedroom window, very discreetly, unchain my bike, and pedal over to Joey D's house. Now, Joey and I, we have kind of an agreement. He's, you could say he's my protege, a a troublemaker in the making. He comes from a nice home, and let's just say I'm enjoying the opportunity to influence this bright young man with an incredible future. So, I creep in the backyard, and as always, I've got some pebbles in my pocket, and I'm throwing them ever so gingerly against Joey's window.
7: And I guess this is where I start my character <laughs> voice. Oh, I haven't even thought of this one. Hmm. 13 years old. All right, working it, working it, here we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what's about to come out of my face. So Don't be gonna... nervous. Oh, oh no! <laughs> like, I have no smokes. idea what I'm going to do, so. <laughs> Dude, you don't have to throw the pebbles. They don't even care if I come or go. I'm leaving. I'm coming out.
1: I threw a pebble directly at his face. Ow! And then I see. <laughs> come on, loser.
7: Oh, my God. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming.
1: All right. Next stop, the... I forgot the name of the house. What's the name of the house?
5: Banneker House. Oh, Banneker. <clears throat>
1: Why are you going to that
5: house? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Next stop... Sorry, Barnaker. Barnaker.
4: Barnaker.
1: It's a
6: good thing I stopped you. You would have <laughs> fucking looked like an idiot.
4: He needs to get his bike, or else you're the only bike. You're right. The one with bike.
2: You can ride on your handlebars. So, I, I, I totally like a, thought a I was riding on maiden. your handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped out, out of the window.
1: Bumpy
7: ass ride. Joey <laughs> <I, laughs> Riding okay, tandem. She's riding tandem.
1: So I'm going to be like, hey. Get on your bike. What are you waiting for? What are you standing around for? Roger, I don't have a bike. i just ride on the handlebars. Let's go. Uh, Come on, let's go. Fine. <laughs> I'm telling you, we got this. Let's go. We don't got this, but fine. <laughs> get on. Get on. But, but, but. Just pedal harder.
3: <laughs> and uh, there's a couple other mentions during that uh, bicycle scene from Roger to Joey that sort of hint at roger being a skin servitor like when he sneers that joey like this ain't happening again when joey's on there specifically like you are going to die tonight and then he talks about the feast of torment in a way that's like why is he saying that that's really weird that's a weird thing to say uh well yeah
4: and joey even comments on that he's like oh that's kind of weird man but okay (laughs) already
0: ate all right
4: This is also the first time that we hear thunder. It's the very first time when we hop on the bike with Roger and Joey. It's really low, but it's the very first time that we ever hear thunder. But good God, finding the right bicycle sounds. Holy Christ. That took me 57 of the 60 hours. No, (laughs) it was like, (laughs) no, like finding like the right sounds to get the bicycle and like the movement of the bicycle and like when they're pedaling and speeding up and slowing down, the bicycle was a huge pain in the ass. Oh God. It took me forever to find the right stuff.
5: Hearing that, that makes me like really glad that uh, I ushered everybody inside really quick. And instead of giving people (laughs) more time to explore the yard, because then you would have had to deal with tall grass and the creaky old tool shack and and the cistern and <laughs>
3: uh, there, there's lots of parts of the barnaker house that we did not go anywhere near mm. which i'm really grateful for <laughs> yeah there's
4: a whole like attic that we the, the attic we didn't explore there's like a i mean we'll get to it later but there's like yeah. creatures outside that we didn't get to see like there's lights outside that we didn't see i mean there's all sorts of stuff like it's it's just like it's cool that we didn't see stuff we got to what we needed to get to but yeah we'll let and us then focus we go to- on different things Yeah, exactly. But then we get to the Barnaker house, to Howling House, and that was also an interesting, like, what does this house sound like? You know what I mean? Like, adding in the train, you know, just to give that sense of...
3: I loved that. That's one of my favorite moments from this first episode is when um, Woods and Chelsea walk up and we hear that distant train.
4: It's just like, you know, something's coming and something's changing. And the train is always. It also, like when you're near a train, especially in the context of these kind of stories, you're in a space that is not central, right? It's the outskirts. The Barnaker house is definitely somewhere that is, you know, on the borderlands of where they might typically go, especially for Woods. And that's why it's in the Woods and Chelsea moment, is because they're coming out of their relatively suburban space and moving into somewhere. Not their typical uh, haunts, should we say?
3: Yeah. Well, well um, uh, speaking of that, I, I had to consult this uh, a map of Arkham to figure out where exactly it, it is because it's you know mm-hmm. this game isn't explicitly set in Arkham, and I wanted to ground it in that. So uh, I we say it's in Hill Street, and if you if you go online and look at maps of Arkham, you can sort of figure out where that is relatively speaking. And then I had to figure out well, okay, so. How can we describe that area? What do we know about the situation that would facilitate the continued existence of a house that was built, like, around the time of the Civil War? And based on that, it's a Victorian house. It's described as such in the dare. We use that description to create the um, incredible art that was developed for the show. So I couldn't change it at that point, but... Victorian architecture. This would have been one of the earliest Victorian houses in the United States. Uh if all, if the timelines being checked like this this is very unusual for specifically when it happened. I did a little little dive trying to figure out if that made sense and then retroactively I was like no, I can't change this. This is how it needs to be. So That's one of those white lies that can kind of slide. Yeah, and it 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 it, it works barely with there's has to be like exceptions are made and yeah we can explain it there's plenty of ways we can explain it
5: and it was built by a very forward-thinking very
3: spooky guy yeah now we cut back to the Northwood house and uh finally meet grandma and get a real scene with Chelsea in it as opposed to the, the first scene where she's just like barely there to acknowledge her and then for Tommy to go off on Tommy's own story We have a returning voice cast again for Grandma. That's uh, Cynthia Beckert, who played Mildred in The uh, Terrible Secret of Lot X, our chief antagonist there. She's so good in that. She's so good in that. She Mm. is so good. She's so good. Love it. Working with Cynthia is always amazing. And uh, I expect to hear her again because I love working with her. She's got a really great repertoire. I felt bad giving her something as like nothing as this grandma role. But, you know, she gets to do some pretty blood-curdling screams later on. I knew she'd, I knew she'd knock those out the park. So that was really, <laughs> like, Yeah, Chelsea. but the thing
4: is, though, is that you caught a grandma, like, you know, she's like the ringer actor that you bring in. You know, it's like Dame Judy Gent plays the grandma, you because, right, right. like, she doesn't have a lot, but she's really central to, like, the importance of the family that they are living in. Like, if it was played by any lesser actor... It wouldn't have the grounding that Woods and Chelsea both need to cement that they are living in a stable home after what happened to their family. And they are relatively stable kids, even though horrible things have happened to them and the trauma that they are living through and continue to live through. Like that they have a loving home that they can go back to and want to go back to, as opposed to with Dirt. Like Dirt's ultimate journey throughout this whole story what happens to him and what he goes through for that to happen to Tommy or to Chelsea like there's some redemption actually in what happens to dirt whereas it would have just been tragedy for that to happen to Woods and Chelsea or even Joey so I think that it worked out really well in how like the roles went but also the way it was crafted in the storytelling so i don't think it's a throwaway i think it was a really strong choice to have such a strong actor in that role
3: yeah she's so good as uh woods is leaving the house uh he's packing all of his gear oh, this god. is one of the- please elaborate colin oh my god
4: well remember i was like i said i i had sounds in there where it was zippers uh-huh and and you were like hey pal so um they didn't have zippers back then. And I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> and I was like, Sigh. you were like, can you, can you do like straps or something? Okay, sure. But that was one of the things I was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? I'm um, sorry. That, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, no, that one was no, that one. And then also too, when Roger's running away from ACE, that one, I got back on you though, because like you were, you were like, Oh, I wanted to be a wood fence, and I was like, "Yeah, but it doesn't sound like a fence unless it's, it's chain link." Because Roger, Roger ducks it
3: through a, ducks through a fence.
4: Yeah, and like, and I and I was like, I did look up though, and I was like, "Here's the research: chain link did exist at that time."
2: because <laughs> <laughs> <Now, and laughs> I, I say,
4: know that if I'm gonna argue, I was like, I was like, I know that if I'm gonna like push on something, I was like, I gotta have my research ready when I talk to Cat if I'm gonna push it push up against something.
3: Yeah. Now, now, zippers, <laughs> zippers did.
1: Exist ish, right?
3: But they weren't like standard. They weren't manufactured. um It was still in its in its infancy, and it would not have been commonly available. Uh, zippers began being used for clothing in 1925, yep. so that's five years after this. You know, like these are the little details. where like, when technology is in place, I'll always ask myself, "Is that is that for real?" And then I'll check it, and I'll, and I'll usually be shocked. And that happens a bunch of times throughout this this series where I've made little changes. One of which. I was not even actually about to talk about the zippers, Colin. I was about to talk about the Swiss army knife.
4: Oh, geez, Louise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Originally, and there's a bunch of great lines that have to do with Woods having a Swiss army knife. And we cut all of them because Swiss army knives did not exist. In that was like a post-World War II thing, them being outside of, you know, use in Switzerland and stuff like that. I, I forget when they were commonly available, but that would just have no one would have had any idea what the fuck a Swiss army knife was back then. So pocket knife, no big deal, but Woods being menacing with the corkscrew, we had to lose that, <laughs> unfortunately.
4: Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Pull out the corkscrew. Yeah. Yep.
3: So, the kids, the, the Northwood siblings, we finally get some scenes with Chelsea, and Manda's doing such a good job of being like super cute, bringing in her own equestrian fascination from life into this character. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a
5: hundred percent like channeling her horse love.
3: Yeah. And then, and because I love that about her, I added even more of it into the <laughs> script. Uh, but the thing about Chelsea is, Chelsea's a really interesting character. And I mean, she consistently passes sanity rolls that no one else does looks at things from this like outsider perspective on one hand because she's so young but she's also really really smart for her age Mm -hmm. like she is clearly neurodivergent in some way if you just analyze like what she does and doesn't do throughout the course of this adventure so for a lot of the times when I was writing new scenes for Chelsea I kept that in mind just sort of her like different perspective on things, things that show that she operates differently. Like when their grandma says, you know how she is. Like, I don't know what that means explicitly, but that
0: mm-hmm.
3: says a lot. Or even when Chelsea, obviously, anytime we mention Dorothy, that's a new line because she didn't exist in in the game. But when they're walking out, Chelsea's like, is Dorothy gonna be there? Like, cause Woods is fibbed that they're going out to to hang out with the guys. And Woods is like, is Dorothy one of the guys? And Chelsea's like, uh, no, no. Cause she's like, not even really, gender's not even the thing she's really registered. Like, she didn't put all that together because Chelsea's in Chelsea's world doing Chelsea stuff with stuff that matters to Chelsea. And like, those kind of like social distinctions don't apply to Chelsea. Yeah. Another thing about Chelsea is, which also goes this gender direction that there's nothing really to read into it here, but Chelsea at this time period, is a boy's name. Interesting. Which is something that we found out, like, Manda named the character Chelsea when we were at dinner, and by the time we got into the studio to record, she realized, oh, actually that's not accurate. And then we just went for it anyway. And there were a bunch of references that we cut out, where like, Roger was making these weird comments, like, masculinizing her, and it was a whole added complexity that was I felt was just going to be confusing. So, mm. we got rid of it, because it's not really important, but Manda's as far as I know, a cisgender female person. Uh, mm-hmm. So not playing mm-hmm. a trans character, but there's all kinds of opportunities for, for all kinds of gender readings in this. If you want to do it, there it is. But um, Chelsea is not like everybody else and that's pretty cool.
5: Yeah, and I think kind of like uh, with some of the other characters, the things about her early period there where she's very like, you know, I'm going with you and there's nothing you can do to stop me kind of thing. That kind of like carries on to the back half where, yeah, like you said, she's consistently making all of her sanity roles. She is the cool as a cucumber, calm center of the group towards the end where everybody else is freaking out. And she's just like, we got to get out of here. And it's kind of like, I don't know, in a way, it's almost like her and Joey end up kind of like being the leaders of everything by the end.
4: Honestly, I don't think the party would have survived had Chelsea not been there. But we can get to that on the last episode. But honestly, like, I don't think that had she not been the tag-along as her character sheet describes her as, I don't think that the party would have made it out. I don't think we would have cool potential Wood stories to tell or Joey stories to tell or something like that. <laughs> you know, I honestly, like truly, because without her, I don't think that we would have made it.
3: Yeah. Something we'll also talk about a lot later is is the relationship between the Northwood siblings based on, on their parents. But, you know, we released this series... As the intensity of the COVID-19 pandemic was alleviating, but before that even happened, I'd made the decision that based on the time period for the kids to be raised by their grandmother, that the most likely reason that both their parents would be dead was just in terms of the timeline. This is 1920. The influenza.
4: Everybody was affected.
3: Yeah, 1917, 18, 19. Yeah, that just resolved. And uh, so, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of broken families in the story because of that, specifically. It's not directly addressed, but that's sort of the, the context that, that's, that's mentioned a couple times in passing between the Northwood siblings. So then the, the gang gets all together, and a lot of that was more or less like as it was played with a couple additions here and there. Chris and I had improvised that whole bike sequence, which was a lot of fun, but goddamn Colin... If you hadn't added in that bike horn, it just would not have been, uh, it would not have been the same.
4: I, I just, you know, I love a good bike horn and um, and it's got to be three and um, it's got to be three of them. Anything that you can do to alleviate and to joke and to make fun in the context of all this, of a lot of serious stuff. Because Joey 100% would be honking the fucking horn, um, which is so. So, Because I also needed something that also grounded them, you know what I mean? And so having the horn get louder along with the bicycle allowed us to be able to have the bicycle travel. And so it was a funny thing because I thought it was just fun. And it also it was a practical solution as well. Now, I, when I put it in first, I was like, oh, she's going to make me cut the horn? I'm going to fight for the horn. Um, and... Um, <laughs> Yes. uh, Did I
3: consider researching the horn? I considered researching the horn. But you know what? (laughs) I decided I have, I do have limits and I decided, nope, not this time. (laughs) You're you're talking about Joey honking it because Joey's riding the handlebars. I always thought it was
1: like Joey's ass just like.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm bouncing on it. Yeah. Amazing. Yes, I see that too. Oh God, that'd be great. That's great. Um, Get your
3: ass off. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've talked about how adding in Howling House, you can tell where that's been inserted here, and it's a 50-50 blend of lines that were spoken and re-recorded and everything else. I, I did add in a couple things. There was some extra dialogue that I needed to, to just kind of, like, smooth different pieces together. Sometimes they'll have to, like, add stuff just to blend different takes so it can all sound correct, but... Throughout this entire journey, you're going to hear a bunch of references to, like, or slight nods to 80s kids in peril pop culture, which is 100% where the dare comes from, or other, like, nostalgic kid film things. I knew it was going to delight me greatly to hear Colin deliver a vaguely Sandlot esque forever. <laughs> Most of those references come from the actual, like, playing of the game, but that one. That was just for Colin. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
4: And I read that when I was rereading the line, like Kat didn't even need to give me any kind of direction. Like I read it. I was like, that's exactly what this is.
3: (laughs) Yeah. We hear Ryan's theme kick in high gear for the first time ever as this episode ends. And it is just, I can't even, like, I can't even express how how good that makes me feel every time. Like to be able to have something, a piece of, of our work, have score this good on it It just blows. like something as good as Batman the animated series blows my fucking mind every time you've seen this like this moment a thousand times of like you know bully and haunted house and all this stuff is really it's a trope but the work you've done Colin Ryan sound design everybody's performance it's elevated you hear this you know the trope but it's already at, like you're like I like to I'd like to hope that everyone's hearing it and thinking but I have to know what happens next. There's this yeah. is not gonna be normal. And one last thing, as uh, as Roger is, uh, he opens the door and he says "Viola" instead of "Voila," yeah. which I'm pretty sure I couldn't point to the episode, but I'm pretty sure I lifted that entirely from a Roger Klotzism from an episode of Doug. I yeah, think that, sounds like it. Yeah, just Doug humor, which it turns out has like influenced me in a in a way that I, I, I years prior I might not have recognized, but in fact. Highly influential program for me. If only there was like a Doug Twin Peaks crossover. (laughs) I guess I'm the one to do it. And we close out with Apartment 54 by Tierney Tuff. Tierney's awesome. Uh, She's a Central Florida musician. Uh, I've seen her perform a number of times. We both uh, are big fans of Gem and the Holograms and went to go see the atrocious live action movie together in theaters. (laughs) When she put out her first solo work, I was digging on it so hard, and knew that I wanted to reach out to see if we could get it for the show, and knew that the only place that it could ever possibly show up because this couldn't play anywhere else but the first episode because it would be too upbeat, it would be too cheerful, it just would not work. Yeah. So this is the only place that it fit.
5: Yeah, I was actually uh, on the on the subject of the music. I was uh, I was glad to see that. We came back with the the weekly ones uh, being different every time. like i know I know that was a big uh, a big concern for you, Kat of like,
3: do I want to do this again, or do I not? I love featuring music and having and highlighting all these these artists and so forth. and and this was this ended up being a really rewarding experience. Like I touched base with some creators who I deeply love and had never had the opportunity to like get entangled with before, which is really cool. Um, we'll talk more about that at each successive moment, but, We came pretty close to not doing this again because getting clearances for this is hard because like there's a way that these things are typically done and that is like paying for licensing for something to appear except that this is in a promotional context like this is not occurring within the body of the story and there's a catharsis that it gives to the episode but it's not the same thing because we've always made it a point of like highlighting the performers attached to this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the same thing and I, we can't afford it. You know, if it was just a matter of like, I want to play a cool song, we have to pay for it. We couldn't do it. So jumping through all the hoops to like get approval to do this is a hassle, but one that now I feel a bit more secure in doing it. I think we, if we do another season, we could do it again. That said, the more episodes there are, the harder it is. And uh, the case of the penumbral gate, the thing we're hoping to make for our next season, that could be like around 14 episodes. It's a pretty big story. So um, can I find 14 tracks? Time will tell. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And we do hope that we will get there. And we can only get there with your help. Please, if you haven't done it yet, head to CthulhuMystery.com crowdfund. When you're hearing this, we will be in our final days or maybe even the final day, or maybe the opportunity is past. Now, our last day is November 23rd, and uh, we need your help. So if it's before November 23rd, please head to com slash crowdfund and give anything you're able to do. Um, See where we are, see how bad off we are, or maybe if for some reason, like if somehow we've actually hit our goal, then see what stretch goals you can help us hit. That would be amazing. And tell people, as many people as you possibly can, help us continue to make this unique, and I like to think amazing, audio content. And if that time has passed, well...
4: Join us on Patreon.
3: Yep, there will be more Cthulhu commentary there. Hang out in the Discord. Omniverse.media slash Discord. All kinds of different ways to continue to support us as we work towards the next chapter of Mystery Program, if in fact that is possible. We'll see you next time on Cthulhu Commentary. Bye, I'm Kat. Bye, I'm Luke.
2: Bye, I'm Colin. Thanks for listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. This series is recorded and produced in Central Florida and Nashville, Tennessee, on land stolen from their indigenous people, the Timucua and Seminole, and Yuchi, Chickasaw, Shawnee, and Cherokee, respectively. Acknowledgement of the first peoples of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately, decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts, and to learn more about the first nations of the land where you live, visit CthulhuMystery.com slash land back. If you enjoy this podcast broadcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and be sure to subscribe to our series via your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you and our incredible team of Patreon producers, Joe Tankreciardelli, Miona MK86, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Redd, Josh King, Patrick Webster, and Chris Cohen. And our executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, Sun Malone, and Becky Scott Fairley. Join the team at patreon.com slash omniverse media. Our original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphin. Home for all your custom music needs and more, neondolphinmusic.com. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night.
3: omniverse
0: the fable and folly network where fiction producers flourish contact day is in but a few short months which means it is time to begin preparations for the bi-decennial festival this year we are celebrating every single one of you living in my
5: it is not our business to question the Queen's will. It is not our business to do anything but follow it.
0: It is you and your loyalty that has laid the groundwork for this incredible utopian society that we speak
7: for. Do you have any idea what's going on with us?
0: It is the duty of each and every one of you to do everything you can to make the festival a
7: success this year. Are you ready? to speak kindly with me now
1: child i
0: have no doubt that this year will be one for the history books and that will be due in no small part to the dedication of my adoring
6: windfall
4: a dystopian science fiction podcast from rogue dialogue